For those of you with delicate ears or simply old-fashioned sensibilities, please be on guard against the indelicate language that may be used during this show. This has been your Obscenity Warning. This is Unorthodox, the leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by senior writer at Tablet Magazine, Liel Leibowitz. Shalom lekulam. And by Tablet Deputy Editor, Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. Our Jew of the Week this week is a special one, live from the Hanukkah show that we did in Pittsburgh. It is super matchmaker Tova Weinberg. She's the founder of the website Saw You at Sinai. She has made hundreds of matches of shidduchs in her multi-decade career. She's a real treat. Toba Weinberg is the Jew of the Week. Our Gentile of the Week is award-winning stage and TV director Scott Ellis. If you are a fan of Unorthodox, you've definitely seen Scott Ellis's work. He has worked on The Good Wife, Modern Family, Desperate Housewives, and of course, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Liel, what's going on with you this week? So last week, uh, I, I realize I've been a bit remiss because we were talking about Israeli politics. Yes. And I think I sort of buried the lead, which is... I don't know how many of you know Carolyn Glick. Uh, I she's a reporter, uh, writes for the Jerusalem Post. Super right wing stuff. Uh, I unsurprisingly like her a lot, uh, and she had just announced last week that she is running for the Knesset, which leads me to ask the following question: If Jewish journalists are running for the Knesset, I, I think we need an unorthodox party. I like where you're going with this. You know, shall we do it? So, so we're gonna be we're gonna. Put people up for seats, and we're going to try to join the, the coalition. Get a, get get someone an MK in the block. Well, I think we we have at least three votes. Know, I think we have at least like five or six seats, right? Okay, Stephanie, I think you you lead the list. Oh, I'm going. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's I, good. It's pretty cold here right now, so I actually would be down to like do half the year there. Yeah, I don't think we need to be there full time. How long does I, the I Knesset run? Most Is it members. Like the Senate? No, it's like whenever it starts and stops whenever you want it to. Oh, I like that. And we just call elections and whenever you don't we want. have to be full time. You just like get an Airbnb in Jerusalem. Be like, oh yeah, God, I'm, I'm there now. Uh, so what's, what's our platform? What are we running on? Uh, our platform. So th- this is Israeli politics, right? Or, well, or I, mean, I mean, I mean, what I'd like is for my. It's a Knesset. It's whatever I mean, you wanted to be. Frankly, I like my children to be able to bring peanut butter into school again. And we know that Israelis have very low rates of peanut allergies because they smother children in bomba from the moment <laughs> they emerge from the womb. So, so the way, literally I, yesterday, I heard someone be like, "Do you know the reason that the Israelis don't have peanut allergies is because of bomba?" I'm like, I. I know that. I, you broke that story. What do you mean? Do you know that? You wrote that People story. People love using that, like that I, example. It's like along like, with Natalie Portman having been Alan Dershowitz's oh research God. assistant. Did you see her in the front pages of Hutzpah? The, the acknowledgments. It's like Jews' favorite random fact. So I want to run on a pro-peanut platform. Like I want to get rid of peanut tariffs. I want Israel to flood the American market with Bamba. And, and I think it promotes cultural peace. And it means my children can start bringing like reasonable lunches to school again. Okay, here's Stephanie, my what sense. You, what, yeah. yeah. I want to deal with the feral cat problem in Israel and in Tel Aviv specifically. Is it in Jerusalem also? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start like a farm. Huge scratching post. And, we, and I'm going to take Israeli all the city. feral cats and move them to this like magical farm where I will also live. So <laughs> You're going to make them all live in one neighborhood where they so, can't live, where if people wanted to come get rid of them, they'd all be packed into one Place. Is this a metaphor? Well, is, we, is that what is you're this saying? Is a metaphor Stephanie? for larger society? If we win, you could have the prime minister's uh, residence. Maybe, which is I guess. Very okay, large. how about that? I'll bring all you're the cats. You're going to take the into Jewish the... cats and put them in one gated part of the city. 
You know what? I think I think that we have bigger bigger fish to fry. But I think okay, we'll move all the cats into the prime minister's residence. They'll eat all the ice cream left over from the BBs, um, and it'll be fine. I'm gonna claim the rabbit. Oh, I want chief rabbi. Two reasons. First of all, especially the Sephardi chief rabbi, the outfits. Well, the outfits for the Sephardi chief rabbi. Fantastic. That fez. Second of all, imagine us in charge of conversion. <laughs> like all the problems of Esau. Like, do you want to be a Jew? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we just said three questions. Do you want to be a Jew? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Have Montreal, you thought this over? Yeah. Montreal bagels, New York bagels, or Cleveland bagels? <laughs> Cleveland, you're in. <laughs> I like this. This could really revolutionize. I think we could do very well. Although, if we're going bagel-wise, I think here's the choice. You want to be a Jew? Okay. There are three bagels on the table. There's plain. <laughs> there's poppy seed. And there's cinnamon raisin. And then you do the thing where you do like the cup game. Only, right. Only <laughs> one of them is the wrong choice, my friend. You want to be part of our people? Also, Choose. the mikvah has a little volleyball net in the <laughs> middle. <laughs> and you, you, we do them two at a time. I'm telling and you. And whoever wins the volleyball game gets to be a Jew. If we're, if we're in charge. All the mechitzas become volleyball nets, too. <laughs> we have, like, big beach balls. If we're go in charge, they're going to be 63 million Jews by, like, 2021. <laughs> Absolutely. Continuity. Way, we got this. Every progressive politician who wants to be a Jew. Bam, you're you know, a Jew. You're, 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 you're right. <laughs> Everyone at all. Just pay a small fee, right? A service <laughs> fee. Uh, you're joking, but I get on, on the, the Newell All plane, the 787 Dreamliner, which, by the way, is the most amazing aircraft I've ever been on because it's like a flat screen TV with like 2,000 great movies. Literally the first movie I see on that plane on my recent trip to Israel is called what? Die Hard with a Vengeance. I don't know. Unorthodox. What? What? Which is the bad translation of a really great Israeli drama about the founding of the Shas party. Wow. Which, of course, is, is really pretty orthodox. orthodox yeah. party. But the story is like uh, three, which is a true story. Three podcasters three, decide to found the party. guys basically are like, we don't like the way things are going. We're just going to run for, you know, city office. And next thing you know, literally 18 months later, they have like nine seats in the Knesset. Guys, I think we could do it. I All like right. that. What's our, what's our party going to be called? Uh, unorthodox. <laughs> there we go. The Unorthodox Podcast Party? The Unorthodox Juice. Uh, Stephanie Butnick. Prime Minister candidate and uh, cat lady. I want to be Mark Minister Opperheimer, without Captain. portfolio. Minister without portfolio and peanut allergy specialist <laughs> and, and chief rabbi Maran Leah Leibowitz. Now in the real news of the Jews, uh, you know I'm not on social media, but occasionally people send me some stuff. Here's a reason I'm not on Twitter, because Twitter acts like this. So this guy, Steve, posts this thing that says, the way these Goyim pronounce rugalach on holiday... First of all, is it rugalach or rugalach? This is or, the point of the tweet, right? But I don't even know. I think anyway, it's rugalach. I've never understood how it's pronounced, but he says, the way these Goyim pronounce rugalach on holiday baking championship is just so very wrong. <laughs> So he's basically, he's he's pronunciation shaming Goyim for not being able to say. By the way, when cooking shows do the Jewish foods, it is very funny. Right. I mean, okay. Like if ever there's a sort of happy-go-lucky, you know, bush bush, we're all, we can all hug it out, kumbaya thing where ethnic groups can make fun of each other. It would have to do with how they do Jewish cooking on network baking shows. Twitter bans him. (laughs) For violence against or threats or harassments of people on against, the basis of race, ethnicity, against natural tradition, against Gentiles who mispronounce rugalach. For for bias against think, 99.3% of the world's population. Mark, I do think you're saying rugalach wrong. I probably, I can't say it either. It's not like a K, I think it's like a rugalach. It's a, or it's a, either a rugalach or a rugalach. Well, it's not, you know, it's not the lettuce, a rugalach. 
but it's a which by the way (laughs) has led for many many very amusing encounters with my children it's like do you want rogalach it's like no it's bitter I'd be like I asked I asked well what if you're like I have a rogalach salad for you right so meanwhile you know there's like white supremacists marching all over Twitter that's free speech that's free speech but God forbid you make fun of people for mispronouncing a Jewish it's a pastry right Twitter Twitter 2019 (laughs) it's okay to call Jews termites not cool to say Goyim mispronounce Rogalach. <gasps> Ashanda for and the now Goyim. we're going to get the email from people saying that Goyim is an offensive word. But, that's, right. but you know why? So is termites. So <laughs> if Farrakhan's on Twitter, but Twitter's I'm cool saying with Goyim. Goyim is offensive. Liel, do you have any news of the Jews for us? Yes, I do. Oh. Let's say that I am in my um, favorite European country, which of course is Belgium. Yeah. Let's say I'm in Belgium and I'm feeling very, very just down, just blue, just sad. Which of these two things can I legally do in Belgium? To bring your spirits up. To bring my spirits up. A, um, kill myself with state-assisted <laughs> euthanasia. B, enjoy a kosher corned beef sandwich. No, sadly, it is not all of the above because one of these things is illegal in Belgium where you could kill yourself with state assisted suicide, yet you cannot, starting uh, today, I guess, 2019, uh, enjoy kosher slaughtering. To be fair, you can bring in a corned beef sandwich from neighboring France for now. If you want, you can bring it on the plane from You just can't kill your own corned beef. According to the to the ritual laws that have sustained our people for some time. So break it down. What's the what's going that on? That is correct. They've banned so, ritual kosher slaughtering. Uh, oh, they have. Now, They're a s- special, special country. And, and here, uh, this is from the Evening Standard, which is fancy. A ban on kosher and halal slaughter has come into effect in the Flandre region of Belgium, unless the animal is in the, stunned in before In the Ned Flanders region of in, Belgium. In Ned Flanders, yodly dodly. It comes after legislation prohibiting animal slaughter without pre-stunning was passed in the nation's parliament in July 2017, which means that a bunch of Flanders uh, legislators uh, were sitting around being, what big problems face us today? You know, what's, what's, what's kind of, um, what's plaguing Belgium? Could it be the fact that we're not a real country? Could it be the fact that we're like completely awash in like ISIS terrorists? I have a great idea. How about the Jews? How about, how about we take away just the, the thing Jews, that they do? And the Muslims. And, and the Muslims. And the Muslims. Right. Let's, let's hate all of, all of them. All, all of religious all freedom. All the dark people. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, if this were actually an animal rights bill, if they were actually banning animal slaughter, it would obviously, there'd be a great uproar, but you could say, oh, they're actually trying to prevent animal cruelty. But no, they're only banning the way Jews slaughter. The animals. problem is the only people who support, who really support this are animal rights activists who are probably happy for any sort of regulation and far right politicians. It's <laughs> true. So it's like, as our colleague at your Rosenberg pointed out on Twitter, it's like not great company if, if the only people who also support your thing are like the far right racist politicians. Which again, this this in the this in the it's PETA and <laughs> it's the PETA and, and, and KKK. And, KKK right? uh, and, and again, this is in a country, and I cannot stress this enough, that you know, is kind of 
blase enough about human life to say, hey, you can end it whenever you want. It's just your choice. Now, you say that now, but remember when we held the competition last year uh, over, you know, to raise money, people got to vote. You lost. I and did. you are required at some point in 5779. Correct. To go on a, a Belgian re-education trip, uh, possibly to either to the consulate or... Or, or to Belgium. Or well, now, to Belgium. Now we know that this trip will not include <laughs> any, tasty, any pastrami. Freshly slaughtered pastrami. Correct. <laughs> I like that there's like this idea that like Belgium has like great corned beef and pastrami. <laughs> the <laughs> famous They do Bergeron. have the Reuben though because it's not kosher. Of course they do. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Our Jew of the Week is Tova Weinberg. She joined us at the live show in Pittsburgh during Hanukkah this past December. After our visit to Squirrel Hill earlier in the year, we wanted to come back and do something festive, do something special for those wonderful people in Pittsburgh. We were able to do a show in Pittsburgh with the generous help from the wonderful people at the Natan Fund. Natan, N-A-T-A-N. They have been a big supporter of Unorthodox, not just financially, but also just in terms of engagement, in terms of advice, in terms of just being there for us and, and making us feel um, excited about our own project. So really big thanks to the Natan Fund. They helped fund this trip to Pittsburgh. We were able to do a free show on the second night of Hanukkah. And Tova Weinberg joined us that night to talk about matchmaking, romance, love, what men do wrong, what women do wrong. She has a very uh, definite point of view and uh, not everyone will agree, but everyone I think will, um, will find it exciting and interesting to hear her talk. Have a listen. Our Jewish guest is Tova Weinberg. She's a longtime matchmaker and the founder of the Jewish dating site Saw You at Sinai. Welcome. Is it safe to say you're a hometown hero? A me? Yeah. No. My husband is. He doesn't do anything but kill people. <laughs> Her husband well, treats cystic fibrosis. Wow. So, you know. I mean. That's big, too. Okay. So. And this is the first time in 40 years that he's ever gone anywhere with me because he's partially retired. <laughs> or else he'd never be home. <laughs> so, Toby, you're trained as a dentist. Oh, yeah. How yeah. did you become a matchmaker? <laughs> what happened was I became a dentist because I thought I'd get a, a, a smarter guy if I became a dentist. You know, who would want to just marry a teacher? So my mother said, why don't you become a dentist? Because there was an ad in the paper in the 70s when Nixon was still the president in the New York Times said wanted women with master's degrees for the last of the three-year dental schools at NYU. I said, hey, I can be a dentist in three years and it doesn't even cost that much money. Uh, and uh, I applied and I got in. Like, like, I couldn't believe it. I had a master's in teaching teachers how to teach biology from Fordham. So I figured, okay, 
I'm eligible. And they accepted me. I couldn't believe it. And so when did you transition into matchmaking full-time? Can I just first ask? Oh. Yeah, well, maybe there's the same question. Like, did you practice dentistry? I did a little bit. Were you uh, just like trying to set people up? <laughs> I did. Your oh, my God. My first, uh, I, was, I, was, I was in dental school, and this kid named Ira Chasen, I mean, that's his name, a real nice Jewish name. His father's a rabbi, was dating Lucretia. And I couldn't sleep at night. I, I, I couldn't. I was so upset but that he was dating this Lucretia, this Italian woman. And I, 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 it was making me sick. I moved to Pittsburgh. And I meet this girl. I don't want to say her name because everybody knows her. And they're no longer married. But they were married for many, many years. And, uh, Still counts. And, yeah. And uh, I meet her. I said, Ira, get your pants over here. I met Ira Chasen in a skirt. Come on up. And he came and they got married. And they lived together for like 30 years, but then they I think got you divorced. did good. You can, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. 30 years. I, I made okay. a relationship. That's right. I, I didn't ask him. <laughs> How many matches would, do you have on your belt? Do you keep track? Yes, uh, I do keep track. I've been doing this for 40 years. In June, it was 40 years. So I'm not so good. I should have millions, but I only have about 350. Now, here, here's my question. Wow. Anyone in this room? I've tried unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> So for three matches, as, as the common wisdom goes, you know, you get to heaven. What do you get for 350 Like your own suite? Like a skybox? <laughs> uh, I, I, got, I hope I get my husband into Ghanaian with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so for three fifty, you get to bring a wherever lot you of want. Yeah. Um, like, what's, what's the hardest problem in the... In the you know, I know a lot of people, and I will say the majority of them women, mm -hmm. who seem fabulous, who, mm -hmm. who are unmarried. I'll tell you what. And what what's going on? What the, okay, here's what the heck is going on? I have more men than I have women. That's the truth. Really? But I have much better women than I have men. It's much harder to be a good man than a good woman. Right? That, that, that's what 40 years have taught me. What's a good woman? A good woman is pretty and nice and sweet. She doesn't have to be a rocket scientist. She doesn't have to make $150 million. She doesn't have to do this. She, hasn't. she can, what? though, she right? Can. She okay. can. She can 100%. They all love her. So they actually you know? practice dentistry instead of trying yeah, exactly. to set up. The, yeah. And then what's a good, a good man, you know, is somebody who is uh, alert, who, who, who knows a little bit of the Bible, who can make a good living, who has a great personality, who hasn't lost his hair, who <laughs> Has a, who doesn't have a big belly, who doesn't, you know, it is much harder to find that kind of guy. I have many more men on my site than women. Now, wait a second. Now, wait a second. <laughs> I feel like you're giving a somewhat outmoded description of gender roles in, in a marriage, right? Right. And I say this, like, you know me, like, I'm actually, I'm old-fashioned, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I, you know, and... and okay, you get me a girl, get me a girl but when who the, says that he doesn't give a darn what the guy does. Get, get me, I so, love to meet her. So wait a second, but so you're saying that the women are superficial because they... Absolutely. But aren't the men superficial? <laughs> But wait a second. But, but we could agree on this. Are so but aren't men superficial too? With looks? Oh my God. Oh my God. So much. So I can't handle it. I, I like want to cut them. And so who's shallower? <laughs> what? Who's shallower? Is it? You know what? It's a real toss up. It it's really a toss. It's so hard. Okay. It is so, so hard. You know, I wrote about you years ago. Yes. And, and, and loved meeting you. And it's delightful to see you haven't changed a bit. And... <laughs> I remember thinking, I mean, look, I am the first to cop to my own 
areas in which I'm superficial. But I, but you do seem to, you're a believer that actually we're fairly simplistic people, that like the men are after the looks and the women are after the money. Well, uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically true. Yeah. <laughs> a little more complicated. But, you know, it's... It, Has it changed? I mean, 2018, 2019, it feels like it's like men are off, like are worse I, than ever. I feel like it hasn't changed Is it at all. Oh, really? I feel like it hasn't changed. But I mean, like, did men used to be able to get you know eye contact? You know what's changed? I'll tell you what's changed, and I hope I'm not going to be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why start now? Yeah. I mean. You know what's changed? I'll tell you what's changed. Oh, uh, yeah, I hope... Amy's looking at me like she's really scared. <laughs> but I'll tell you what's scared. I, I, I met this woman uh, at the health club. I said, honey, you know, I'm not going to say her name. I said, I, you know, your daughter stopped calling me, and I used to love setting her up. Oh, her, the flavor changed. Her flavor changed. I said, her flavor changed? What does that mean? She's into women now. And that's what I find, that a lot of people will just change their preferences just like that, where it wasn't like that 10 years ago. So it used to be easier to make matches. Yes. Yes. And so what are your lim- like limitations? Would you do my, li- <laughs> my limitations? Like you would only my, match Jewish, Jewish couples. Jew- the, all you have to be is Jewish. That's it. You've I won't match you anybody. A Jew. No one has ever no. come to you and you said like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. No. You're beyond redundant. No, I always believe there's a lid for every pot. Everybody has a right to who's get married. Who's the lid and who's the, am I the lid or the pot? <laughs> I don't know. It depends. I have a technical question, a logistical question. It, traditionally, maybe this is improper. Does the matchmaker get paid on commission? Like in 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 in, in olden times and now, like would you only get a commission if the match gets made? How does it I, work? Yes, but I don't. I don't. I do this for free. Yeah. But um. But yes, the the matchmakers will pay only on commission, and they usually wait until after the marriage, just in case. So that's why, like Yenta and Fiddler yeah. on the Roof, is yeah. always like hustling. And they used to get a lot of they get a lot of money. People, professional matchmakers, can make as much as ten thousand dollars a match. How has technology changed your game? Oh, it's fantastic! All I do is press a button. I see a I see a great guy, and I press a button, and I match them but up. Well, you, you you see a great guy, you see a profile, you see a picture see a pro- and, and some but lines. I could, and- I, you know what? I, I I don't like to think I'm talented. I'm not, but I could read profiles between the lines. I can see things that a lot of people. So, like, can't what are the lies? Like, what, give me a sense of what they say and what you read. Well, um, like. Um, where they're from is very important to me and and um, where they went to school and what they say about themselves and how articulate how articulate they write about this how well their their writing is I can tell a lot of things about their grammar everything I can I can so, send something so else like here's the thing like I make no money and I have no yichus and oh I have God, no like you are, I would be screwed no, you like, are so wrong you have good you hair so wrong. he has great hair you have yeah. great hair and you don't have a pot belly. Wait, wait, wait. I have great hair. And I don't have a pot belly, and you have a great personality. And you're, I, so, and you're a writer. You're, you're a journalist for the Wall Street, for the whatever you do. For all the best. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You, I could get you a million girls. And you don't make any money. And but I make no money. Does the and, five and kids, you have five is that a children. problem? Yeah. Right, and yeah. you have a wife, so that'll be a, that's tough. a little tough. So, c- he already t- has four girls. That's all he can handle. Will you yeah. tell us a little bit about Saw You at Sinai? Saw You at Sinai was started in December uh, 16 years ago. And it was started by um, Mark Goldman and Ozzie Cutter. 
they had this idea, and then they heard about me that I have been doing matchmaking, and they wanted to know if I wanted to join in. And I was trying to do something myself, but I, my husband was never home to help me. So, and he's the computer whiz. It's so a it's great all, night for it's him, all I think. his fault. But so they came up with the idea. If you need a match, we know someone who can find a wife for you, actually. So. <laughs> And um, so they, I said yesterday, please, I need this so badly. And, and we just launched it. And you found your calling. And I, fa- I love it. I, I spend hours. I wake up at 530 in the morning. I don't get to sleep till 10. And I'm maybe for four hours, I'm off the site. I'm on it. And so how does it work? So because instead of someone coming to meet with you. So what I, what I do is I, I tell them to, they call me. I tell them to get on the site. I'll even make them a free member. And, um, and then I tell them to be very specific and answer all the questions honestly. What's the biggest mistake people make on these sites when answering these questions? They're honest. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit too honest. What should I lie about if I want to really make uh, it work? Um, uh, body type and... Um, um, so I should Photoshop hi. myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, for you, just say no, you're no. not bald and you're 6'5". That's right. right. And there you go. And wait, and you have to get a great shot. That, that professional shot that you don't look like at all with all the makeup and everything, put it on. It'll get you to first base. <laughs> Although technically, if women are only shallow about money, should it not matter? Should well, I just... is that, they're, they're better about, about looks, too. Looks okay. are important. So they're shallow too. in two different ways. Okay. Oh, yeah. So on your site, um, there, you can choose like your level of observance. Yes. Right, and so it's conservative, conservadox, Hasidish, just Jewish, Lubavitch, modern Orthodox, liberal, modern Orthodox, Machmir, modern Orthodox, middle of the road, modern Yeshivish, Yeshivish, it's all mixed up, yeah. spiritual but not religious or traditional. Now, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's real hard to differentiate. Do you have to choose only one? Can it's I choose really like really hard three? to differentiate. And would you match like modern Orthodox? People with are cons- a blend. Okay. People are a blend and they're a range. Especially when you go to a certain age. I said, what do you care? Machmish, Machmir, dear. You know, he's a good guy. He keeps Shabbos. He keeps kosher. What more do you want? But it's, and that's all, you know. Is it, is it almost like it's important for the person to, dis- to categorize themselves so that they know what they're looking it for? It does, it for- does. But they, they, it's there to, re- I keep on focusing, it's a range, range, range. And is it like astrology where like certain matches with each other, like You know what, like I, rising, I, do believe, <laughs> I do believe that God shows me signs. Real quick story, my sister years ago calls me up on the phone, she's crying, crying, crying. She's been divorced for many years, says, uh, Reggie, stop crying because you're divorced. No, no, I'm not crying because I'm divorced. I'm crying because my friend's daughter isn't married yet. Please, uh, please help her. So I said, I call up this friend. I said, well, what's with your daughter? So I talked to the daughter. Okay, one minute later, this guy calls me up. And I said, God is telling me, you know, she's 27, he's 23. He's Israeli, she's American. But they're both like on the same religious. So I'm going to say, God told me to do this. I want you to go out. Her name is Devorah. I want you to go out with Mishalom. Are you crazy? He's so much younger. He never went to college. I begged her to go out. After nine months of being her therapist, they got engaged. Thank God. And they have today, they have six children. Sometimes wow. you just have to push We're checking a off bit. a lot of these boxes. You gotta push, you gotta push, and you gotta, you know, use your imagination. You seem to set a lot of store by the level of observance. Is that like a, a, a crucial It's pretty element? important. It is important. Can't be 
It could, it could, it could. It depends on the person. A machmir and a yeshivish cannot. A devora no, and a machmir and a yeshivish, yes. Right. A Lubavitch and a traditional, no. You know, it's not going to happen. Not going to so, happen. Listen, as lo- ta- speaking of Bashir, sometimes yeah. God sends you signals, right? Okay. So we knew we were going to talk to you. And then when we were at our Cleveland show a couple weeks ago, a wonderful woman comes up to us afterwards named Elisheva. And she says, listen, I love you guys. I've been listening for a long time. She says, I really want to get married. I'm a neuro- neurologist. Together, I'm a neurologist. Um, and, sorry, spoiler alert. And she says, you know, like, I'm not stupid. I'm not ugly. I'm wonderful. And I'm a huge unorthodox fan. And I have to say, in the follow-up, she said, I'll tell you what I'm looking for in a man. I'm looking for a Liel, but less married. <laughs> and so, I'm going to, uh... um, so, you know, it tells you where her politics are, which we'll forgive her for. And, but then we thought, but then we thought, wait a second, let's actually like get her some real-time advice. So would you please welcome Ellie Sheva Coleman. Ellie Sheva Coleman. All right, come on up. Why don't... A full service podcast. That's right. Hello, hello. So hello, hello. What would ha- so if if Elisheva comes to you, what what happens? Elisheva, so Tova. happy you're coming to me. Thank you. Okay, this is what I need you to do. Get out of Cincinnati. Where are you, Cincinnati? Okay, <laughs> that's what I would say. Number one, you are in a place where there are no single men. There are no single Jewish men. Get out, 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 out. Number one, number one, number one, number one. Get out. Okay, anything else you want me to tell you? Okay. Um. All right, so that's number one. Like, tell us, I mean, I'm actually curious. We get a lot of emails from, I shouldn't say a lot, but dozens anyway, from single Jewish women. And I'm curious, how would you characterize, like, the way that Tova described it in terms of men's flaws, women's flaws, you know, in, in the life of you and your friends, is that, what is your perception of what's keeping people from finding love? Huh. Um, I will say that, the overwhelming majority of my friends are married. So I'll speak mostly to my own experience. Um, I mean, what's, what's keeping, and I'm trying to think about, I mean, I've thought a lot about this. Why, you know, here, how did I get here? This is not, I, I never expected to be 36 and single. And I've dated, I've dated, I've had significant relationships. I don't have a good answer. What's wrong with men, Elisheva, is what we want to know. Yeah. I mean, I've dated, I, I dated a guy for about three years who wouldn't say, just say, I don't want to have children. He didn't want to have children, mm. and this became clear, and he wouldn't just out and say it. He, he wasn't sure. You know, he was thinking about it. Maybe he was going to come around. He was a few years older than me. So, so there's that. Um, you tell me. What's wrong with that? Why would you stay in you such know, a long-term relationship for so long? Like, what's yeah, wrong well, with that's, you? Right. No, right. that's a great right. question. Right. You know. That, yeah. Them. No, so that's, that's, that's the key question. Yeah. No, it's true, though. I think men are less communicative. I, I think it's very common for women to stay in relationships with men, hoping that they're going to, like, the men don't want to just say, I don't want to do this. I don't see myself getting married. I don't, like, they're stringing us along, and it's, it's not our fault, I don't think. And it's also very hard I, I think when I ended that relationship about a year ago, that was the moment where I finally found myself really truly ready to say out loud to myself, to my friends, to you guys, <laughs> that I want to get married. That's a very hard thing to actually say out loud as a single woman in your 30s. You feel 
you feel pathetic. I mean, you feel like, like you feel like desperation. And weird and exactly. You feel like you are going to just have the stink of desperation about you when you go on dates. If you say, I want to get married, I want to have children, I'm aware that I have Does time pressure that men you? don't have yes. and I want to so, have children. So and that and, and, and you you so don't much. and and it's scary to say that out loud. It's scary to even say it to yourself, My let alone to other people. For you. I, and you need somebody tall too. That's a, a big negative among <laughs> Jews. Now wait a second. Do you feel you need? How tall are you? I'm five six. You're five six. Yeah. yeah. So just how tall my in, wife in is, Jew, and I'm five world. eight. Was yeah. I too short for Sid at five six? <laughs> it's too late now. It's, <laughs> but I mean, do you feel you need someone taller than you? It would be really great. Because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like as the representative here of the under five eight men's club. <laughs> I will say that like, okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm older than you. We were not, we would not have been in precisely the same dating pool, but like picture us, you know, 10 years ago, you're, you're, you would have been 26. I would have been 34 and no, we would have been the same dating. Why not? Right. But you would have rejected me because you would have thought living in his, (laughs) you would have rejected me because I'm not, I'm not pinning, like, I'm not saying ha serves. I'm really not. But I am saying that like, it is interesting. The women who want significant others, but five, seven would be too short for them. So I'll say a couple of things. First of all, you know, the the older I get, the more I try to really examine what what's really important, what really matters, and what should I consider a, a deal breaker. And I try to whittle away as many deal breakers as I can and open up my mind, you know, to to say, you know, there might be someone who is five seven and otherwise completely wonderful and perfect for me, and I shouldn't take them off the table because of that. Which I will also, as a digression, say that I think the internet is, and and this is this is what's different about what you do when you're on traditional dating sites. It's so easy to make superficial things be a deal breaker, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when you're going on a short profile and swiping, um, but there, there is something I think very deep in many women, not all, but many women that I share where you want your partner to make you feel small, to make you feel feminine and that there's something about being physically, in, you know, being being physically overwhelmed a little bit that f- makes you feel taken care of, um, and you know we could have a whole long discussion about yeah, but that's real gender. That's you know, real. Na- what what's nature? That's what's real, nurture? What's socialization? It. You know, <laughs> right? That's real, but get uh-huh. over it, right? I'm, I'm okay. telling you, I'm telling you. Yeah. There's some great guys out there that are a little short, and you can just hug them and kiss them. It's, you know, I'm telling you, I'm telling <laughs> you. Make it sound so appealing. <laughs> so really, I think you that, cuddle with them. Yeah, the truth yeah, is, I don't like short is okay. It. What I can't actually do, and this is just me, like I can't do short and slender. Like if you're short, but like a little bit like. So we would have gone on a date. You would have gone home to your friends and said, "If only he had a pot belly." <laughs> <laughs> no, but like if only he could like. I don't, no, big I, shoulders I get it yeah, I get it. yeah exactly you know, right. I understand exactly. I understand so listen um, we're all going to hang after the show obviously and we're going to talk more and you're going to talk more but before we, we we stop to give away more stuff and 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 let you go back to your seats you know you've given a couple bits of advice to someone like Elisheva get, so get out of the town where there are no Jewish men that would, so basically should everyone be in New York or LA no or like, but there are many Jewish men here in Pittsburgh we have some nice eligible men. Yeah, uh, you know, come see Elisheva after the show, right? If you have yeah. some nice. My God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So move to Pittsburgh. She already said one yes to one of my guys, right? Yes. <laughs> she, she's not too she's excited about it, but at least. All right. So, so city is location is one thing. Get over your tallness fetish. 
one or two more bits of advice for not just Elisheva, but women or men, men gen- humans. Just, I want Jews. you to look into their soul. I want you to forget what they look like, put a paper bag over their heads and their faces and see what's inside their soul. Do you really believe that's possible? Absolutely. Really? A- it's happened many times to people. Can I, can I ask, what should I do on a first date to try to get to see someone's soul better like what what are the like conversation topics or questions or setting give me date advice for a first date I, I, I would go to dinner I would go to dinner and just talk about you what you like to do and how and what he does see if he can ask questions about you and you ask questions about does he listen to you does he give you eye contact do you do you get that little click everybody says well I don't I didn't get that click I'm not exactly sure what the definition of the click is but you know what I mean you know what I mean should you know? people take should people always go on a second or third date if you no. I don't agree with that. No. If you know by the first date that it's not, unless you're not attracted. If you're not attracted to the person, but he had such a great personality, or she had a great personality, I would go on a second date. Okay, now as prep for that date. What? It was amazing. Everything was great. The conversation, the click, the listening, but ah, five, four, and slender, whatever, not attracted. What do you tell yourself before you leave the house to get yourself in that mindset of, I'm going to make this work again. I'm, I'm just going to, uh, what do you tell yourself? Ask her. I mean, I, I well, I think, no, I, mean, like to, I, I tell like yourself, to yeah, you have to tell yourself, I would say to you, look into the soul. You had such a great time for put a paper bag over his head, over his <laughs> like body. Like a big one so he seems taller. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, and a, a black bag then over the, but, but I'm just saying you've got to <laughs> look into his soul and see what he's Tova. all about. Should should a couple that's headed toward marriage be physically intimate before they get married? Uh, I'm the wrong person to ask. I'm orthodox. <laughs> I think so. you're the right person. She, she's on magic. It's fine. Don't tell my kids that. But, <laughs> you know, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jewesses of the week: Elisheva Coleman and Tova Weinberg. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I'll be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. 
Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolfe. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uomember and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. J. Crew, two very important requests for you. The first is for our February 1st live show in Los Angeles. This is a fairly new announcement. We only knew about it a few weeks ago. Well, the request there is you just got to come. Come to Adat Shalom in Los Angeles. We're going to do a Kabbalah Shabbat service followed by an unorthodox live show. Then the second request is if you are going to come or even if you're not going to come to our Strom Jewish Community Center live show in Seattle with Dan Savage, Please send us your questions. Either email them to us at unorthodoxatabletmag.com or call them in 914-570-4869. If you're a little bit abashed about writing to Dan Savage yourself, you can use us as your buffer. We will be your, your shliach, your emissary to noted sex relationship and romance advice columnist Dan Savage. And then come to the show if you can, if you're in Seattle or want to fly to Seattle. We will be at the Strom Jewish Community Center February 2nd. So... February 1st in LA, Adat Shalom. February 2nd at the JCC in Seattle. We're partying West Coast style. Don't call us too early in the morning. Don't call us at 7 because it's going to be 4 a.m. out there where we are. We're going to be doing live shows for you, the J Crew. Our Gentile of the Week is Scott Ellis. He is an actor and director on stage, on screen. He started acting with Liza Minnelli and Cheetah Rivera, and he moved on to directing. He's received eight Tony nominations as Best Director, one Emmy nomination for an episode of 30 Rock back in 2007. He is super prolific. He's worked on Weeds, The Good Wife, Frasier, Modern Family, Desperate Housewives, and don't you know it, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So we're at your apartment, which is actually the reason we know you because you live in the same building as our producer, Josh Cross, and you had a hand in the best day of our lives, which is when you allowed us to be extras on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which you I were directing. I think I'm most proud of that. I made sure you were in the shot because I knew what that shot would be. And I thought, oh, I'm going to make sure you're in the shot. You pulled us and were like, go, go there and then ha- walk here. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was going to make it in. And I saw it at the end. I was like, oh my God, we're really in it. Yeah, well, because I knew that. I knew they had to use that shot. Sometimes you don't know <laughs> editing, but I knew that shot they had to, you had to tell, to tell the story, you had to be in that shot. That's why I put you in it. So I, I felt like I was part of the story, <laughs> the plot I of that show. So. Well, thank you. We'll get to that. But there are a million <laughs> other things that are um, as interesting about you. So we're actually, it's 9 p.m. on a Thursday. Yeah. And you are a very busy person. Yeah. What is your day like as a director? What are you, you know, it all, it all changes once once I start a show, I started uh, the Broadway revival, Kiss Me Kate, to the day after New Year's, New Year's. So I just started rehearsals, what, yesterday, I guess. Yeah, yesterday, oh my God. Uh, so that changed, my whole schedule changes because then I start rehearsals from 10 to six every day, except one day off. And then, uh, then it goes into another whole world when you go into tech, which means you bring it into the theater. And those are... Uh, 12 hour days because you're sitting in the theater and you that's how you put it all together it's called tech 
And then you go into previews and then you're there at the theater during the day rehearsing and at night watching the show and going back to the theater and giving notes. And then you bring it up to the opening. Uh, so it's a very intense schedule for that period of time. Uh, so, and then when I'm not doing a show, if I'm not doing television show and not, then my schedule changes drastically, but I have two kids that I'm raising. So it's never, never quiet. <laughs> well, know. it's pretty quiet because they are, yes, they are sleeping. They're air quotes sleeping right yeah, now. I think. So before you were a director, you were an actor. Correct. Performing on Broadway yeah. with Liza Minnelli. Yes. Yeah, that's how my whole career as a director started. How so? I was I went to the Goodman School of Drama as an actor. I came to New York. I got cast in a show called The Rink that John Candor and Fred Ebb who wrote Cabaret in New York, New York, all those shows, Chicago. And I was in a show. I got cast in that show. It was a huge thing for me to be in that go. And it was Liza Minnelli and Cheetah Rivera. And at that time, I approached Candor and Ebb about reviving a show that they had written called Floor of the Red Menace, which was their first show they ever wrote. And I always loved it. It dealt with communism. It, it took place in the 30s. I just thought it was a fascinating piece. That was a big flop when it was done. And uh, so I said, I'd like to, uh, I think it should be revived. And they said, well, who, who would direct it? And I said, me. And they said, have you ever directed? And I said, no, I've never directed, but I would like to. And they gave me the rights, or they gave me the phone number of their agent, and I put that together over through the next three years and opened it off Broadway. And we got very lucky and got a great review in the New York Times, and that started my career as a director. So do you wish that you had continued acting, Never. or was this actually what you wanted to be doing? No, this is what I, I... I didn't know it, except I was sitting in the theater, and I was in the middle of tech, and I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I'm very comfortable here. I like being on this side of the table. And being an actor, you have no control whatsoever. And being as a direct, being a director, you have a lot of control. You have all the control. You have all the control. So how do you learn how to be a director? I'm not sure. I think being an actor helped because ultimately for me, it's all about communication and creating an atmosphere to create and to tell a story. And as an actor, you're being asked to do that all the time. So I think I just learned that, or I took the process I learned as an actor and brought it into the world as a director. And then I learned the other things that I had to learn as a director. And by the way, you never, you're always learning. I mean, every show I do, it's a brand new experience and hopefully I'm learning something or trying something new. So it never ends. So what's the difference practically and artistically going from theater to TV. And is that a hard sort of toggle for you? It was, a. I was lucky that I got a chance. My first opportunity was Frasier. The producer of Frasier came to me because he knew of my theater background and said, I'm looking for theater directors or people who understand actors because uh, the actors on that show were used to, were great actors. Kelsey and David Hyde Pierce. And so he gave me a shot on that show. And so I will always be internally grateful. And that was David Lee. And that's called a half hour sitcom, which basically means you're, you have an audience and you're staging it very similar to a play. And so that became easier for me, although I had no clue on how to work with cameras. But I did know how to talk with actors. So I thought I'd rather know how to talk with actors 
and I could learn the cameras. It's harder to do the other way around. So I did that. That worked out well for me. And I then tried to get into single camera shows. Now, single camera means you're working with one camera. It's every other show that you can think of on television, including Modern Family or and one hour dramas, all of that. But that was a very difficult, very difficult to cross into. People had no interest in me doing it at all. I observed for a couple of years on different shows. I mean, luckily I didn't have kids and I, I could do that at the time, but I, there was no guarantee, couldn't get anything. I did a play with Alec Baldwin and he mentioned, he said, I'm gonna do a new show called 30 Rock next season. I want you to direct on it. I said, wow, I would love to direct on it, but I'm thinking, I'm not gonna be directing on that show. There's this NBC, it's never just gonna give me that shot. And sure enough, I got a call from the agency saying you got booked on this new show, 30 Rock. And I knew it had nothing to do with them. And I called Alec, I said, Alec, I got this call. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you can do it. And I said, I told you though, I've never, <laughs> I've never directed a single camera show. And he said that, yeah, that's what NBC told me. And I said, so what, he'll learn. And that's, I got that shot because of Alec Baldwin. And just as a fluke, I put myself up for an Emmy nomination and I got it. So that was all because of Alec who gave me a shot at that. For any Emmy nominations, you actually have to put yourself up for it. Like as you, a director. As you, a director, as an actor, everyone has really? to put, yeah, you have to put yourself, you actually have to pay a fee to put yourself up. And basically it's just, I had no, I didn't think I was gonna get nominated. I just put, I put my name on the ballot to pay to put my name on the ballot because I wanted people to know I was directing on this new show. That was it. Never expected anything. And you chose that episode, The Breakup. I'd only done one episode. <laughs> so this is like a real tale <laughs> of chutzpah throughout your career. <laughs> just, yeah, I had never done, that's right. It was starting with, with the first play. I thought, oh, I'm gonna go talk to Canada. Like, I could do this. And just, I can do this. It's sort of what I said. So yeah, I, I that was it. I didn't do any other tell. That was my only television <laughs> single camera show that I had done. And I just thought, what the heck? I'm just going to put it up there. Well, it's interesting because most of your theater work, or at least a large chunk of it, is period pieces. And it's interesting that most of your TV work is very contemporary, yes. except for actually Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. 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 That's was, interesting. Was that on purpose? No, not for me. Listen, Mrs. Maisel came up for just a very simple reason, is that is they, Dan and Amy had to take a break. They had to, in their first season, they took, uh, an episode they couldn't do they couldn't do all of them they they produce direct write all of them Save me Sherman Palladino and Daniel that's right Palladino. and they couldn't do one so they they were saying they had to find a director and I had met them years ago they're they're huge theater fans they love theater and uh and it's I had kind met of them obvious in all their work all of it of yeah. course I mean they just it's very clear uh -huh. which is why I think they're so incredible uh so I was supposed to shoot a show for them that actually got canceled. So I, ha I had met them. She tells a very funny story because we met at a place called the Bar Central and our first it's meeting. It's like a Broadway classic. It's a very broad, big yeah. Broadway classic. It's, it's, it's a really fun sort of, that's a great bar. And that night, Cheetah Rivera happened to come in, who I know and <laughs> friends. 
and she came up to the table and they were just sort of in awe. And of course, I was so thrilled because I thought, oh, I'm. I can really impress these people that Cheetah Rivera is coming up to their table because Cheetah Rivera is a god, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so we we joke about that because I said they couldn't believe it. And I was like, I couldn't believe my luck that Cheetah was coming in because she would do all the work for me. Uh, so they called and sa- I got a call saying they would love for you to come in and do this episode. There's only one in this season. season. One. In season one. They sent me the pilot and I was just blown away by it. I just thought, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen on television. I just loved it. And I said, yeah, of course. And it was a really fascinating, wonderful uh, process because for them it was tricky because they had done all of them. They'd written them and here's an outsider coming in. And I could tell they were they not nervous, but they were, they were, I mean, I would be, it's like handing your child over to someone and saying that, you know, don't let, don't kill them. You Which know. episode was it? Uh, in the first episode in the first season, it was, I believe it was episode five or six. It, it's known, I'm even forgetting what it's called and which I one can't episode. even remember the first season at this point, honestly. Oh, I think the first season is so wonderful. Now that but, season two has like jammed all my... Yeah. <laughs> But the first, this was a, a, I got, they got some attention only because there was a beautiful scene where the two of them are in the uh, agent's uh, apartment and she's, she's crying to the agent saying, you have to, you, you have to be nicer to me, basically. You have to treat me differently because this is really hard for what I'm doing. It was a, it was a, it was a really beautifully written scene. And it was emotionally a really great connective scene of those two characters really coming together. And uh, it was, I remember the day, it was a great day. It was a great, they were so incredible, both of them. And so anyway, they they were very much, uh, not hovering at all, they were very, but they were protective of it. They're circling. They're circling, they're definitely (laughs) circling. But they had such this is their res- thing, right? This is this their is, thing. Yeah. I would circle. I would. Oh my God. Writing, directing, producing. They everything. Did it all. Yeah. And and I give them full credit for everything. And 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 they were. But they. But on the other hand, they were so respectful and so generous to me. And I think the actors were happy because again, I, I, I because of coming from theater, they've all done theater, and I think they were happy just to have another voice coming in and and talking, but. I was just lucky. They they took very good care of me, and hopefully, I took care of of their show. So, do you ever watch the things that you shoot? I rarely watch the things I shoot, mainly because I I have watched Maisel a couple of times, mainly because I'm just such a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to watch because I only I only remember the day, either not getting the shots I want, how long that day was, all that, you know, but. And some shows I don't particularly like as much as others. So as our Gentile of the week, you get to ask us a question that you've sort of always wondered about Judaism. I'm not sure if this is a question or or a, just something that happened in my life. And I, I, I was in my late 20s and I was raised Catholic. And uh, I, I just need to say I'm not religious at all. And I sadly am raising my kids with no religion right now because I always get nervous about 
any type of organized religion makes me a little nervous. Listen, I'm gay. I'm married. I, we have two kids. So maybe that's part of my sort of, which is not fair because I need to, to be open. But I think being raised Catholic was not great. That was not great. Uh, so I think I've pulled back. But I was in the car with my grandmother in my late 20s. And she lived in Florida. And out of she was from Budapest. And the first time I ever went any place out of the States was to do research for my first Broadway show I ever did called She Loves Me, which based on a movie, Shop Around the Corner, which was based on a book. And it took place in Budapest. And now it's, um, you've got mail, right? Well, I, I would like to say it's not now it's you've got well, mail. It, you got mail was was the idea, it took the idea of that. It's still She Loves Me, which is the best musical. And you've I done think it twice, everywhere. right? I did a revival of it again, the first revival and the second revival 20 years later. But but so anyway, we were in the car and I had gone to Budapest to do research and I just was so fascinated about it. And she just said to me in the car, I don't know how it came up, but she said, well, I, I, I when I, I came over and then I married your grandfather, but I, I was Jewish. I'm, I'm, that's what I was born uh, being Jewish. I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, yes. And she had this accent, she's in Hungarian accent. She, she talks like this and she was very, and I love my grandma, I love my grandmother. But I said, grandma, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. She said, well, my, I came over, my brothers continued the Jewish faith. And then I married your, your grandfather who was Catholic. So I just, I said, you just became Catholic? You just, she said, I said, I said, you know what? I don't know this for a fact, but I think it, it runs through your mother's line. And because you're Jewish makes my mother Jewish, which makes me part Jewish. That's what I think it is happening. It technically makes you fully, like it makes you fully? Jewish, See, like did not know all that. that it matters for a lot of people who are believe in the more stricter halacha or Jewish law. If your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. Wow. So this is another well, instance of us trying to get a freaking Gentile guest yeah, not, and turning out to be Jewish. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, no, I'm not sorry. I'm actually happy. But I, I was so shocked. I called my mother. I said, what the hell is going on here? You, you Did she you, know? Of course she knew. She knew her, grandma, she knew her mother came from Budapest and her, her, her uncles were Jewish. And it was just a white, just none of this was discussed. Did you know that your uncles were Jewish? I, well, I think I was young. We weren't around them that much. Yeah. And so, uh, yes, I met my uncles, but they they stayed in Michigan and my grandma. So no, yes, no, but not really. Uh, no, I That's actually crazy. it never it never hit me. So it was it was the craziest day. I just couldn't believe that nobody in our family never just thought to mention it. Never. That's and it, it it also once I knew I it made just made so much more sense to me. I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, that makes sense to me, but. Yeah. So that was that was it. But it's so funny because you work in entertainment and yeah. it, it, one imagines you're around Jewish people a lot. Yeah. So what I was going to going to ask you is like, what do you really think of us? <laughs> but now that I know well, you're one of us. But one of us. So you really can ask me that. That's true. But or what do you I think? pulled back completely from from you and tried to separate from you again. <laughs> uh, no, I was saying uh, I was thinking my best friend in high school was Amy Ziff. They I was always over at their house. They were Jewish. I mean, listen, this is Fairfax County. There were not many, many Jewish families in Fairfax County during the 70s. 
And uh, but I was always fascinated with the family, with the, uh, everything about the Jewish religion. With I knew through Amy, and I was always thought this is sort of cool. So years later, when I found that out, I called her <laughs> up immediately and I said, oh "My God, this all makes sense to me." Was she like, you "I know? kind of had a feeling"? No, she didn't. She, 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 she said, "I was. We were, we were both gay. We, we didn't know that at the time." Uh, but uh, we knew we sort of knew that was something different. But uh, no, not the religion. So you had to like come out to her as a Jew, yeah. basically. <laughs> so, so anyway, I uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's that's me now. I and it's funny because I really did think about okay, now I've got to delve back into this whole this part of my life, but I haven't done it yet. So. I feel like post-war immigration here like everything was a little bit murky like you oh, kind of see how that happened oh, I there was never a moment that I thought well I don't understand why didn't you <laughs> she gave her Budapest on the boat and she was just like yeah I'm not like, we're not we're not doing that yeah. we're not doing that that's crazy you know that's crazy but and yet her brothers did but she she did not you know and uh I love my grandfather but but uh yeah that's a whole part I was not of expecting this to take this turn but i'm kind of glad it did my final question to you is do your kids ever watch your shows and do you ever walk into a room and like modern family's on and you're like guys i directed that i the only time that they like to watch when i did a christmas story i don't want my kids going in the business i have no interest and yet every theater job every every broadway show that i've done they since they were probably three they've come to see i've sat them in the back for a while they now obviously sit through the, they're nine so they sit through those shows. so they've seen a quite a few shows they've seen my partner's shows uh because he's an actor uh but when i was doing christmas story i was out there for quite a long time flying back and forth for three months every weekend and it was live and i decided i'm going to put my kids in the show because i wanted them to be around to see really what their dad did because they saw the shows but they didn't see what i did so they had to come out for five days so they came out and they had to rehearse and, they and that was the in, live action right and that was the live thing and i was i pulled them aside i said listen i'm your dad and i love you but i'm gonna treat you like i treat all all these every, other child all, actors all these other child actors get in the line do that so i was very but i said it so you i'm going to treat you as a professional actor i'm not and i expect you to behave and and i have to say they were really great and it's very it was a big deal for them they were on movie set this big set uh, and and warner brothers all this stuff and they love watching that because they're in the shot. Just as I put you in the shot. Yeah, I, I cannot put them stop in, watching it. I put them in the <laughs> shot. You can sit with my kids. They can, you can watch Maisel and uh, you all can watch I'm like, Christmas can you just uh, fast you forward through? I, I know that artful oh, shot, God, Abe. So like, just can yeah, you get to the last scene? Let's go, let's go. But they do love doing it because see, they see themselves in several shots. And they love watching themselves. Really so that's, that's the only time. No, the rest of the stuff is not... They're very nonplus about it all. You know, they they go they like going backstage. They do that uh, when they they've ridden, you know, they they they've gotten on a motorcycle with Bradley Cooper, you know, they, they but they just think that he was an elephant man. elephant man. But they just think, oh, it's Bradley with the with the motorcycle. It's Brad. Bradley. Uh, but so they, they know when I was doing You Can't Take It With You, we had kittens in the show and they were and we had sleepovers with the kittens several times they loved Very going exciting. back they also had a snake in the show so they loved going backstage seeing the snake and the kittens and having sleepovers with the kittens then they think i'm cool that's cool other than that not so much
Cats and Bradley Cooper. It's all it takes. Cats, Bradley Cooper's, and the snake once in a while. <laughs> That's all that matters. Scott Ellis, thank you so much. Good luck with Tootsie, Kiss Me, Kate. Our listeners can go to Broadway and see them. Totally. And thank you totally. for giving me my big break. You're welcome. <laughs> Good luck with that career. <laughs> thank Best you. Podcasting doesn't work out. You know, I have, yeah. I'll fall You'll back on always it. Always have that. <laughs> thank you so You're much. Welcome. That was amazing. It's 2019, and we'd like to thank some of our donors who helped us wrap up 2018 in the financial black, baby. <laughs> the show's going to keep going. We'd like to thank Ann Wojcicki, Don Katz, Molly and Nick Yehagen, Marianne Novak, Ralph and Marsha Guggenheim, Rabbi Gary the Glick Glickstein, Jane the Burn Bernstein, Rachel Schnoll and Stephen Yankauer, Richard Ross, Scott Newman, Leslie Guild, Jennifer Sr., Tim and Joanne Oppenheimer. Hey, I know those people. Claire Garfield, Stephen the Swede Naren, Adam Pesson, Deborah Berline, Patty Evans, Lillian Sturd, Noah Stoffman, Daniel Bethelme, Lisa Enfield, Mark Fabulich, Marsha Zimmet, Howard Wasserman, Sydney Friedman, Joshua Shore, Serge Rokloski, Jenny Beckman, Jeffrey and Hetty Roshba, Samuel Saboni, Lauren Amdorsky, Miranda Hilliard, Yolanda Wu, <laughs> our favorite Jew, Michael Zimmerman, Ruby Gelman, Cindy Huang, Claire Garfield, Jenny Altschuler, Nicole Sirtis, Jordan Bossler, Deganit Rubin. Jonathan Wenning, Ryan Fackler, Matt Bergen, David the Gabber Gabovich, Andy Boone. <laughs> Keeping the name Boaz alive, Boaz Gurdon, Michael Svetlik, Vivian Pollock, Allison Mellon, Ron Dolan, Emily Thompson, and Howard H. Shap Shapiro. Alfred S. Bergman, Pam and Leslie Harris, my aunt and uncle, Rebecca Smith, no relation, Harriet Wasserstrom, the future mother-in-law of my friend Jess Ackman, Linda Whitgow, Elliot Lazar, Alex Selden, Lauren Shoulder, Andrew Corner, Donald Falk, Arthur Lederman, Joel Smith, Kaylin Jabal, Alicia Abrams, Ashley Wallace, Francesca Silverman, my sister. Francesca Silverman, Jonathan Fine, Stephanie Pearl, Mutter, Alex Wall, Linda Handelberg, Martin Lewison, Elaine Clayman, Rachel Bryan, Nancy Malnove, Rebecca Galen, David Lazar, Anna Chodas, the great Bacheva Marcus, David Lipschitz, Jacqueline Mayo, and Rick. Solid gold, Goldstein. Sophia, Benjamin, and Aaron. Bruce from the 06515, Janet Slifer. My second cousin, once removed. And Will Dosimo. Mazel tov. Stephanie, do you have a mazel tov this week? I have another baby-related mazel tov. Nagin Farsad, friend of our show and host of Fake the Nation, welcomed a beautiful baby girl at the end of September. Oh! Reka Rehan Farsad is a cutie. I've seen a pic. I didn't even know she was pregnant. Nor did I. It's like you think you know mazel some. You think you know everything tov. about your podcast hosts. And and Nagin Farsad. Nagin so Farsad. A little podcast host of the future. I actually did know because I follow her on Instagram. Has been born. You know, also baby-related news. My mazel tov is to my old friend Beth Rack who, along with her husband, Larry Samuel, has a newborn baby boy, William Samuel, born December 31st, 2018, just in time for the tax break. Uh, Beth, it should be said, was kind of legendary at my high school. She was the woman. She was editor of the yearbook, president of the senior class, captain of the soccer team. She is she, she's with, without her. Loomis Chafee class in 1992 is just an impoverished 
ragtag group of a couple hundred preppy people with Beth. It's legendary uh, that she has a child is immensely gratifying to me. So welcome to the world, William Samuel. Liel, do you have a mazel tov this week? My mazel tov is to our editor, Sophia, who will now give us a real mazel tov. Mazel tov to my father, Scott Evoy, who is going on his first sabbatical ever later this month for four weeks. He uh, he and my mom are going on a little trip and I'm really excited for them. Wait, a sabbatical, a sabbatical is four weeks? Yeah, that's barely a sabbatical. Yeah, well, this is like the huh. corporate world. That's he's, a... he's not an academic like you guys. Look at that. Like for us, sabbatical is like a year and a half, six and a half years. Right. That's a sabbatical at <laughs> right. best. Mm-hmm. Now, a sabbatical, do you feel, did he earn it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a sabbatical also in academia, you're supposed to have a project. It's not supposed to be vacation. Oh, yeah. No, this is vacation. This is vacation. <laughs> this is vacation. Yeah. Scott Evoy. <laughs> Mazel tov We wish you many Mai Tais on the beach. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. It's on the web at tabletmag.com. Do you need more reading in your daily ritual? You know, we say this every week, but we are part of a brilliant and wonderful website, News and Culture of the Jews and Beyond. Go to tabletmag.com. You can ask for Unorthodox's newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and putting newsletter in the subject line. We come to you live quite often, and we also accept your advertisements. We are surprisingly reasonably priced for advertisers. Uh, so you might want to reach out to us. Email producer Josh Cross at jcross with a K at tabletmag.com. If you want unorthodox products, maybe you want to get a post-Hanukkah cold midwinter present for somebody. Maybe it's a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or a coffee cozy or a onesie for a newborn. Go to bit.ly slash unortho shirt. Our show is produced by Josh Cross, Shira Tulushkin, and Noah Levinson. Our editor is Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Social media intern for this show, the tweet master himself, Elazar Abrams. And our vacation time wonder intern is Jillian Forstadt. Our theme music is by Golem. They're online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by immigrant rabbi from the United Kingdom, Rabbi Neil Amswich at Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. I'm not even going to tell you why I found him or how. But I want to see if one of you can get word to him that he was Rabbinic Supervisor of the Week. If you can, we will make him a Jew of the Week. So somebody reach out to Neil Amswich at Beth Sholem in Santa Fe. We come to you from Argo Studios bright and early on Tuesday mornings. And we happen to know that they are looking to scalp some Super Bowl tickets. Shalom, friends.